Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you out of the heart of Seattle, Washington, in Studio 212 on the Soundcasting Network, this is Physical Culture Radio. I'm your dopest host with the most, Coach Greg Jones, at Coach Greg Jones Instagram and Facebook, along with my super dope host, Chris Edmonds. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm ready to cling, dude. I'm, I'm wired. Let's do it. Nice, man. So episode number 13 is we're covering the topics of conversation and our training, i.e. the Q&A. Um, so we're going over some questions that we've been taking online. I want to answer some of those for you guys. And uh, Chris, how's your training going this week, bud? You know what's really funny is I've taken, this will be eight days off in a row. Um, and there's multiple reasons I did that. Um, was one, I had a crazy thing happen to me nine days ago. I woke up in the middle of the night and my lower back was spasming. Oh. Not, not enjoyable. Um, it was extremely painful. Um, so I went to the chiropractor, got her to adjust me when got some x-rays. Yep. And my spine was doing that crazy thing again where it was like jutting off to the, my right hip. So what I just did was I just shut it down for uh, the next week and um, kind of regrouping. So, you know, that's one of those things. I've had this happen to me two other times. This is by far probably the least painful of them all. Right. I hadn't had an outbreak or a flare-up, so to speak, in four years. So I just, I just know that during this time, I, in the past, I've tried to push it, um, and that just wasn't intelligent. So kind of taking one step back to take a giant leap forward coming starting Monday. So that's what I've been doing this week. How about you? You know, I've been I, – I got off the programs for a while, and what I mean by the programs is your and John's programs that you write up for me. And um, the reason why is because, you know, I – as many of you know, I was recovering from shoulder surgery in the middle of 2018. So it's pretty much taking me the better part of seven months to get that thing healed and to engage that right peck from the right shoulder that was surgered. And so I didn't feel like I could fully do all the details and the facets that are involved in taking on the the programs that are written up um, from you and John. So I kind of just did my own thing and did what worked for my body uh, to be able to yeah. get through exercise wise and to not go backwards. Um, and but I've been feeling good enough lately that I actually went back to program twenty one, which is I, I feel like an oldie but a goodie. Um, yeah, and it's a high volume, uh, a high intensity. Well, I, I feel it's high intensity because it has the, you know, um, occlusion stuff it's got the lots of drop sets and uh like just lots of crazy techniques in it so i went back to it and it kicked my freaking ass like my body (laughs) from head to toe was sore um and i realized that you know one of the things that people get complacent in in their training is you get kind of stuck in a rut doing the same thing over and over and over again you got a pull day you got a push day you got legs day you got arms day whatever training thing you follow, but you do the same shit in the same manner and the same reps over and over and over again. You don't vary up the stressors and what you impart on the body. And then the body doesn't respond. And I think a lot of people get caught up in that. One of the, you know, imperative reasons to have a coach or to have somebody oversee your training is so you don't get stuck in those ruts. And because, I mean, I had to do it because I, you know, was, my back was beat up and my shoulder was beat up. So I had to take a step back from doing the programming, you know, because of injuries. But I think a lot of people out there 
just get caught up in doing the same thing over and over and don't see different results. And going back in the program just made me realize how much I need programming, how much it benefits you and how freaking sore my body was. And it, and it feels great. I, I mean, I love it. And so, you know, for, for me, I, I need that oversight. Um, and I need a program, uh, to kind of keep, uh, on path as for, you know, most of you to know I'm going to be competing this year. I'm pretty sure I'm 99.9% sure I'm going to do the North Americans in last weekend in August is what I'm gearing up for. So I may do, you know, if you and John want me to do the tune up, the Wall States early August, I could do a tune up and then in late August, um, do the North Americans, which would be the show that I peak for to try and get my pro card. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about things, man. And, uh, thank you for helping me through a lot of these injuries with a lot of stuff that you send me and a lot of the mobility stuff. And next episode, we're going to be talking about that stuff, specifically the stretching and mobility stuff that keeps us viable, um, into our preps and into the off season training. Um, so, you know, getting into that uh, training. You know, and- let me ask you a little, 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 little fast. Yep. There's a couple things I want to I pound out real fast here with you to give everyone an idea. So Program 21 is called Annihilation Wave, yep. and it is, it is high volume, and it is high intensity, not to the extent of, like, say, a low-volume, uh, high-intensity program like Dorian Yates where you just go bananas for four sets. It is still very high intensity. If you look at the RPE, or, you know, the rate of perceived exertion on a lot of your work sets, there's still maybe five to eight times where you redline like right. one of those given sessions for legs, for chest, shoulders, for back, um, for example. Um, and now the arms on that you know, are more high volume uh, and less intensity techniques. But I can tell you, like, Annihilation Wave is one of my favorites. Um, it definitely falls in the top ten. Um, do you want to talk to people about your split there and like what it looks like in the current week for you? So, yeah, what I do is I typically do, instead of doing push pull legs, I will do, um, I'll do a push day, uh, or I'll do legs day first. Then I do push to give my lower body a break. Um, so legs and then I do push and then I do pull because pull uh, if I'm doing rack pulls or something for, you know, it, it affects my lower back like legs does. And so I'll a lot of times want not want to do a pull day going right into legs because that's double duty on my lower back. And right. um, I usually do three on and then take one off uh, and then we'll do another three on. And I'll sometimes mix it up and then throw in an arm day if I don't do arms after the push and pull. I'll throw in a specific arm day. And I think, you know, getting into my training for the show with arms and shoulders being the emphasis, I'll probably keep an arm day in there and not do a second back day because my back is my best body part. So, you know, we'll probably end up prioritizing my training, uh, you know, in this, in the rest of the off season before I start prep. Um, and that, that's kind of how I approach it. When I need a day and my nervous system is, you know, completely shot, then I take a day. Um, and that usually happens after three days to four days max. I can do those three base days and then an arm day, but then, a, you know, on that fifth day, I'll need a day off, like for sure. <laughs> nice. 
you know, I think something cool is, you know, especially someone like you who has a lot going on mm-hmm. between your business, between, um, you know, your, your kids, the thing and the beauty about one of those programs are you read that the morning you wake up and you have your plan set. There's no thought process, right? You just right. go in there and you're a robot and you just focus on working as hard as you can on those, you know, five to 10 exercises you have. And to me, like, when I reached out to John initially before I worked for him, like, that's the reason I loved his programming so much is, you know, I, I was a full-time trainer and, and worked 70 hours a week. I didn't have to think about my programming anymore. I could just simply pull up the Word document, and there it was. Right. And a, a, a lot of people, you know, either A, like you said, get into a rut and do the same shit over and over and over again, and they need something to mix up. Now, don't get me wrong. You definitely need the basics, and I'm not saying, like, a the same exercises wouldn't work for you all the time, but if you don't chase some kind of progression, meaning weight, reps, chasing a logbook, so to speak, yeah. if you're going to do the same exercise, I, I don't feel like you're going to make progress. No. It's not until you change the demand on the body, and that either comes from exercise selection and technique, or that comes from progressive overload, meaning more reps and more weight. So for you guys out there thinking about, should I choose a program, should I write my own, you know, it's one of those things where it's extremely valuable to kind of see the way someone else would structure a program. And that's, you know, some of the things that John taught me was how do I put hamstrings in a quad-focused day? How do I strange shoulders after chest and still make them grow? And all of those things, th- those two things I just spoke about specifically, he has taught me better than anything I ever got doing on my own. So, you know, speaking about Annihilation Way Program 21, yeah. That is one of those that it really is built to help you put on a ton of lean tissue and do it safely. So right. that's really cool. Something something I'd love for you to talk about, um, just as a as a knowledge base, is if you could talk about how your training is in the all season versus contest prep. Does that differ, or is it the same? You know, I used to go really heavy um, and stay heavy. When I first, you know, in my college football days, when I first started doing shows in the 90s, um, I was Dorian Yates style and, you know, I, I was more worried about strength and kind of power bodybuilding and I would keep heavy training, you know, throughout my prep. Now, when ever since 2016, when I turned my tricep three weeks out from the Emerald Cup, um, getting ready for it and you know, a little light popped up, you know, above my head when we did the interview with John, um, last week and we talked about, um, estrogen getting too low. And then also the different preparations that you get on to, to, you know, get real dry and cut and how I tore my tricep. And I'm not so sure that my estrogen, um, and taking an anti-aromatase inhibitor, uh, didn't contribute um, well, along with just me being hard headed and, and doing triceps <laughs> when I shouldn't have done and not properly warming up yeah. and being in that super depleted state. But I've learned that you, you know, coming down into this prep in 2019, when I started, I'm number one, not going to do any knucklehead shit. Uh, number two, <laughs> um, I'm not going to push the heavy thing. Um, and when I say heavy, heavy for me is like, you know, probably one tens, 120s on dumbbells, you know, incline press and, you know, 11 or 12 plates on leg press. I'm not going to squat heavy anymore. I don't squat heavy anymore. 
I go as heavy as I can with good form in different exercises, but you know, coming into this prep, being in my later forties, uh, it's, it's going to be more volume and more about training everything twice a week than it is about taking anything out real heavy. And then you, and listening to your body's feedback, if a joint feels fucked up and you're doing an exercise and you don't take heed to that and just do something else or stop it right there, um, you're asking, you're asking for it and you're asking for an injury, especially as you get older, especially if you're taking, you know, any, um, orals or preparations to get you cut and ready for the show. And you're already in a depleted state. Um, one of the things that was funny that John, uh, mentioned was guys being dehydrated because we're doing extra cardio and you're maybe right. training twice a day, you're doing morning cardio, then you're training, then you're doing more cardio and you're in this depleted state. You're probably freaking dehydrated too. So one of the things that, I mean, I try not to be dehydrated, but you know, say you're on clean, say you're taking, you know, some stims and you're some body fat things down the stretch. You're probably going to be sweating your ass off all day. Even when you're not perspiring, you're perspiring, you're burning up water. You're probably, if you're not, I, I think, isn't that the main reason us as coaches tell people to, to drink two gallons a day is one of the reasons. So here's, here's something huge, right? I've always done this instinctually and the older I get, the more this makes sense, the more I see with people. So at the start of a prep, I'm consistently hitting a gallon half of water, if yeah. not more at the beginning. So when I say beginning for me, that's 20, 20 or so weeks out. Right. Middle of the way through, if I'm not at two and a half gallons, I'm getting worried. And by the end, if I don't drink three gallons of regular straight spring water in a day on top of two liters of intro workout, something is not right for me yeah. personally. Now, that may be too much for you guys, but I'm telling you that works for me extremely well. Yeah. So I know that sounds extreme, but to me, I use that for a bunch of reasons. Like you said, I'm sweating all day long, first of all. For me, when I sleep at night, dude, the sheep are soaking wet. So I sweat all night long, which is why typically, I personally, I'll wake up hard as male. I'll be vascular head to toe, and that's because I soak our sheep. Like, we have to wash our sheep at least three times a week if yeah. I'm in the show prep. Or I sleep on top of a towel. It's disgusting. Um, but that's just what happens. Um, going back to the preparations you talked about. <laughs> um on top of that, I'm doing one or two cardio sessions. On top of that, I'm training for 90 minutes to almost probably two hours. Right. So for me, I use that to stay hydrated, also to curb appetite. But number one for me, that helps my pump like no other. Um, the more hydrated and full my muscles are, yeah. and couple that with sodium, um, and I heavily salt everything year-round. And then but when I'm in a contest prep, a lot of things I'll do, like pre-workout, I'll have two to three ounces of pickles, like dill pickles pre-lift. And you talk about ramping a pump through the roof, it goes bananas. And, yeah. you know, something kind of cool is that's something I've always noticed is if my pump starts to fade and I can't get carbohydrates because it's not time for a refeed, I'll increase water and salt and boom, I get a pump again. So right. something kind of cool there. And then getting back to your tricep point about exercise selection, like there's no reason you couldn't do a tricep workout that looks like this, right? You start with four sets of 15 on rope pushdowns. You go right into overhead rope extensions with that same cable for four sets of 12. And then you go to like a dip machine and do four sets of 10 there. So I'm, you're already hitting, you know, roughly 12 sets of high volume of getting a huge pump in your triceps. Then you go do a skull crusher with probably dumbbells or kettlebells to give you some play in the wrist. 
and you can do another four sets there, and you get 16 sets of triceps, your arms are blown the fuck out, and guess what? You aren't tearing shit off the bone. Right. So if if I'm speaking specifically for you, that's what I would want to see a tricep workout look like for you. And I set that on its own day. And then if you want to get a second tricep day, you put that in at the end of chest shoulders, and you just do something high, high volume. So I'd probably do four to six sets of probably – 15 to 25 rep range just to get blood in that zone and then get the fuck out and go home. Right. So two, two thoughts there for protecting your joints, being safe. And then as we always talk about, you know, still train hard, but train smart. There's no reason you couldn't start a tricep workout with three different table movements and then get into to a compound movement and still see progress. Because at the end of the day, if you do that, let's say you can do skull crushers with 50 pound dumbbells. Um, if we get those, 12 sets of cable movements first, those 50s drop down to 35, but the 35s feel just as heavy as the 50s would if you did them, say, second in the rotation. Yeah. So it's stressing the body of still being hard, still being as heavy as you can go, but limiting yourself because you're, I hate to call it pre-exhaust, that sounds so fucking cliche, but I'm taxing your muscle with cable movements that are safe for you, right. and then we get into the hardship where we go, hey, now it's time to pick up some freeways and crank hard where your work sets might look like 30, 35, maybe 40s, where before it might be 40s, 50s, 55. So just safely programming and stuff. Yeah. And just to let you guys know how I tore that tricep, I don't even know if I've gone into this before. I was training um, back and biceps. My back was really smoked at the time. And so I started you know, because I was three weeks out and I'm fucking neurotic and all that good shit. I started to do some triceps because I wanted to get a little bit of that kind of push pull pump thing in. And I did a couple sets of push downs and I went right to skull crushers and I made a jump from 50 to 110 pounds. And, um, as I talked to you before, I didn't have the incremental, uh, cambered bars, it was just a plate loaded one. So I went from two twenty fives and a bar to four twenty fives and a bar, um, making a 50 pound jump in a depleted state on a body part that I wasn't supposed to train that day. And on the negative, I was going down and pop goes my long head of the tricep. 90% of it was torn. Luckily 10% of those fibers hung on for dear life. And I, they were able to be reattached and I went down and had the best surgeons down at um, the Husky athletics, um, university of Washington do the surgery, uh, like two weeks later and I've healed up and it's, uh, you know, a lot better now. If I do the grassins all the time, it doesn't flare up like it used to. Um, so, so prefacing my workouts now, and I would really recommend this for everybody out there. So go get some dragon balm or some icy hot, something you can put on a joint Get a Grassens tool. You can buy these things on Amazon and do a light Grassens therapy on any old injury that you've had, breaking up any um, existing or re-adhering adhesions you may have in an injured area, and that will really help you get through injuries, whether it be shoulder, elbow, lower back, knees, you know, IT band, um, growing. You just got to get in there with that tool, scrape it, break up the adhesions, and it's really helped me with my training lately. Um, whereas before when my tricep was healing and I wasn't doing grassins on a regular basis, I would, it always feel twingy and I would do certain exercises. Like I'd go up to close to hundred pounds on any kind of dumbbell 
and I'd feel it and it hurt. And, I, and I'm like, am I going to fucking tear this thing again? Now that I've been doing the grass right. thins before my workout and then after like at night before I go to bed, I, I'll scrape that sucker. And then also before I go and then I put on the sleeves, warm it up, warm it up real good. And I've been symptom free of any twinges, you know, knock on wood and, you know, I'll continue to be safe with it. But, um, that's been a big, you know, and then probably the soft tissue work and, you know, the extra mobility stuff that I've been doing. We're going to get into the next episode about that. But, you know, that, that stuff is huge. And when you have an injury or you have something that's tight, the body's compensating in, in some way, shape or form, um, for some kind of an imbalance, you guys got to take care of this shit and nip it in the bud, not just ignore it because those little aches and pains and, you know, whatever is manifesting itself from your training, you can't just ignore. If you ignore shit, that's when things get torn um, and break. And then you're, you know, then you're facing going to see the doctor, which you don't want to get to that point. So, okay. Let's, I think, you know, you got to be, be really preventative too, man. Something yeah. that I would recommend to you or anybody out there that once they start getting lean or once they have an injury... So Elite FTS has this stuff for Arctic Bomb that yeah. you rub on all your joints. So if I'm going to train upper body day, I'm going to put it on my elbows, I'm going to put it on my triceps, I'm going to put it on my shoulders and on my upper lats. And then from there, I'm gonna, if, I have, if I'm training heavy chest, I'm going to put some Iron Rebel elbow sleeves on, yeah. I'm going to put my t-shirt on, and then I'm going to throw a long sleeve hood. And that stuff's not going to come off until I'm shrinking sweat and really keep those muscles and tendons and ligaments warm. Um, if, if I'm in contest prep and I'm training legs, I'm going to l- rub that arctic bomb all over my knees. I'm going to put tights on and I'm going to put sweatpants on over top of all that yeah. and train legs that way. Right. So not only am I going to be sweating my ass off, but I'm also going to keep my knees feeling as good as humanly possible. Yeah. So just some food for thought. Yeah. Okay. So getting into, um, we had a question about, you know, what do you do when you're traveling to stay on point with meals? And, you know, I was chatting with Greg uh, earlier in the week, and I wanted to expand on that and, and really go into how do you stay on point with your entire program when traveling? So I think to me, this really stems, um, I feel like I've become a master at traveling and, and, and succeeding in bodybuilding and living the lifestyle. Um, when a few years ago, Angela, traveled up and down the east coast for work and i was really fortunate enough to be able to tag along with her and hang out um so that means we lived in hotels um pretty much the better part of the week so how do we do that so the first thing is picking the right hotel picking the right location so step one is i want to ensure the hotel has a kitchen meaning a stove a microwave um an oven and that needs to be essential in my personal opinion. Now, there are yeah. ways around it, but that just makes your life a lot easier. Um, like a coffee maker, it makes it even better so that you can have coffee. You can, if you want to cook your oats that way, if you don't have a microwave, it's a great way to heat your food up in a coffee maker, which is kind of cool. Um, secondly, I'm going to choose a hotel that has cardio equipment in it. So treadmill, electrical. Or a gym. Um, or, a, or some kind of, yeah, the, the, the bigger, the better. A hundred percent. Because that's going to save you time and travel. If you're having to pay for a gym while you're out of town, that just makes life a little bit more convenient for you. So I want to choose, again, hotel collection is huge. We typically um, always stay at a Marriott. Um, We have Marriott Rewards Points, and they're typically really, really nice. And to me, I don't want to have bed bugs. So (laughs) something to 
thing about. And they always mostly have a kitchen, a microwave, coffee maker, and a lot of cardio. So that's positive. Step two is I want to choose a hotel or where I have to go for work to be near a good gym that I have a membership to or and or a grocery store. Because if I'm going to do all my food shopping while I'm down there, I want to look for Fresh Market, Trader Joe's, Kroger's, places like that where I can get all my food once I get there. Yeah. So, again, that set myself up for success. If I choose a nice hotel, but it's in, like, deep downtown and I have no food options other than eating out, that's not going to be the most successful for me. So that's step two. Yeah. Um, the third thing is we always pack a bag that stayed in one of our cars that had all of our supplies in it. So cooking utensils, pots, pans, ham, all of our seasonings, so, like, sea salt, pepper, garlic, onion powder, all that stuff, hot sauce. Because I didn't want to have to pack that every every week we went to travel. So I just kept a book bag full of all that shit that I was going to need. So if I needed a pan for baking potatoes or aluminum foil, um, my rice, I had a rice cooker that stayed in there, like a small one. Um, all of those things make life super easy. So that once I get there, it's not like scramble, scramble, scramble. It's unpack it. It's my pot. It's my pan. I have spatulas. I have everything that I need. I have Tupperware that I can pack my meals in. And then just throw that right into the refrigerator. Now, if you don't have a refrigerator, easy. You can get one of those big-ass duffel coolers, and every hotel you stay in has ice. So you just go fill that cooler up each one of ice, and that's how you keep your food cold. And then you pop that in the microwave or stove or whatever you have access to. So, again, be smart. I've emptied the like the uh, hotel refrigerators that had like liquor and all that, like snacks and cookies and shit in it, yeah. and I've put my food in it before, too. <laughs> so... Again, it's just going back to being resourceful. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes just to setting yourself up for success and be successful. The next thing you want to do is you have to figure out how long you're going to be on the road to get there and then how long you're going to have to, like, go shopping and what's going to take to, to prepare your food to eat. So if we were, say, going to, for us, a Richmond trip was pretty normal. That's three hours away. I need to pack at least three meals with me. So I'd have one on the road, one when I got there, and one in case I didn't have time to go to the grocery store until the very next morning. Yeah. So, again, packing my meals for the trip until I get down there to make all my food. Um, yeah, obviously, if you're going to do a bigger trip, like an eight-hour, you're going to need a full day's worth of food, if not a little bit more. So, again, preparing yourself, get one of those six-pack bags, a ISO bag, pack your meals in it. You're going to have to eat them cold. But, again, if you want to succeed, that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah. And, and the next thing for me is I've got a little bit of experience with my life coaching and traveling. I a couple of years ago I had a client in Summerlin, Nevada, and then I've got an ongoing client in Fallbrook, California, about to take on another one in Solana Beach, California. So I would go spend four or five days with these folks. And um if I could not find a hotel like in Vegas, um you remember the name of it. There's a place that I stay at when I've gone to the Mr. Olympia and done life coaching there where it has a full like little mini kitchen and it's yeah. almost like a little apartment. And so you go just buy food and you prepare all your shit. There's actually, you know, there's pans and pots and plates and, and, and silverware and everything to, to fix in there. You just got to buy all, all of the supplies of the foods you're going to eat. And then I bring my, you know, I bring my Fitmark bag and I have my, you know, uh, little meal prep individual meal holders and I'd make six every day and eat breakfast and do my thing. And so there's that. But if you don't have that, like when I was at Masters Nationals, 
we were in this hotel and there was nothing but competitors in this hotel. So every, there's two microwaves and the microwave <laughs> would ended up getting burned out because everybody's down there and there's a line six, seven deep to heat your freaking rice and chicken. It was just a nightmare. Um, but you know, another thing you can do, and I've done before in Vegas is I called ahead and looked for a meal prep company and had them make yep. meals for me. So if I'm there working yep. for a couple of days, getting in and out of gyms with guys and, and training them in their house, I would, I would go pick up meals and have them prepare like 10 meals for me and go pick those up. And then, ha you know, I would have 10 meals for the next four days. And then that would lessen the amount that I would have to make myself when I'm there. Because if you're flying someplace three hours, it, 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 a lot of people don't want to make a bunch of meals and travel with a bunch of meals flying. It's kind of a pain in the ass getting through TSA with a bunch of cooked food and all that. So, but prepare wherever you're going so you can have that stuff and then know where, where you're going to work out. Like when I go to Vegas, I'm either at EOS or a city athletic club. And it, to start my day, I go work out either with a client or I work out by myself and then I go train my client um, and then spend time with him and then have my meals with me. So it's just about preparation. It's just about, you know, and I think, you know, what people lack uh, for the most part, day to day, week to week, month to month is preparing and, and knowing how to prepare even in the daily work life, even when they're not traveling, yes. you kind of need to get that whole regiment down. Um, you know, and one of the things that like training my jujitsu guys, a lot of the Brazilian guys used to be really bad. A lot of them have come around now they'd wake up and eat bread and have coffee <laughs> And then they wouldn't eat till yep. lunch and then they wouldn't eat again till dinner and have this big ass dinner. I'm like, you guys aren't going to like optimize your training and also work out. And they're on the mats training like four hours a day. They'll train in the morning. They'll train at night, sparring technique, class, all that stuff. And they're eating two full meals and bread in the morning. Right. And I'm like, you guys, if, if you fight somebody that's eating six times a day and has electrolytes and has like, really has got their nutrition on point, everything being else equal technique wise, you're going to get your ass kicked because you're not going to be recovering. Yep. You're not going to be as strong as that other guy. Um, unless you're just a genetic freak and there's not too many of those genetic freaks out there. You can get away with that kind of stuff. You know, it just comes down to holding yourself to a higher standard, man. Right. You know, when you travel, it should be less stress, less responsibilities. Because it's not you don't when you when you travel, you lessen what you don't have to even take care of your house. You don't have to clean your house up. You have a little maid that comes in and straightens up your room each morning. Like it comes down to not accepting just leaning things. And if you have a plan, if you have a preparation, if you know you're gonna go somewhere and you wanna do your meals that way by having a, a food prep company, yeah. then just have them ship it to the hotel you're gonna stay at. And when you get there, they're waiting on you. So there's so many things you can do. Um, I've had clients that literally make all their food for the week, freeze it into bags, and then put it in their uh, stowaway bag so it gets checked, and it stays frozen until they land. So there's always things you can do if your desire is great enough. Yeah. And to me, like that, that's what it comes down to. If you travel, even if it's a long ways away, but it's halfway across the world, like, there are always options. You can always catch and not sacrifice for coming off plan if your goals are strong enough. So, right. to me, I want to capitalize also on that hotel lighting, man. Like, the hotel lighting, those pictures of the shadowing, you can look freaky as fuck. <laughs> so, so, pick a so room with good lighting? 
Is that a prerequisite? <laughs> Call ahead and find out. Do you guys have good? Can you get me some extra fucking lamps? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Without that's a doubt. Funny. All right, man. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Let's keep the number two. Yep. So, how to decide uh, or to stay natural? Um, when you're training uh, and or doing shows or take the step into using uh, performance enhancing drugs? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, that's one of those topics where, first of all, it's 100% personal. I, I, if, you, if you have a coach or a friend or a mentor that tells you, you've got to use drugs, it's tough. You've got to, like, run the, as far away as possible. Like, that has to come down to you deciding that for you because, as we've talked before in the super supplements conversation, you know, if, if you go deep down this rabbit hole, you're going to be on minimum HRT for the rest of your life. Right. So it, your reasoning or your why has to be powerful because you're potentially altering your body. You are taking on some risks. So that has to be your decision. You don't want to look back in five years like, man, I shouldn't have listened to that coach. If, again, if your goal is to be an IFBB pro and you think you can do that naturally, well, you're just wrong. And then the coach is going to say, listen, if you want to be a pro and win Mr. Olympia or Mrs. Olympia or, you know, 212 or men's classics, like, you're going to have to get on. Um, even people with superior genetics like Ronnie Coleman or um, Ty Green only could turn pro as a natural. If they wanted to compete as a professional, I mean, first call out or winning the Olympia, they had to get on. So to me, ask those clients is, you know, what's your end goal? Like, what's the reasoning? Why do you want to do it? And then we go from there. So if your goal is, dude, I'm tired of being skinny. I'm tired of getting last place. Uh, I, I, I want to take my physique to the next level. Then we we attack that with a smart approach. Right. Um, and to me, as a, as a coach, um, the first thing I'm going to assess with that client is, are you smashing food and are you training hard? Right. And if you haven't mastered those two, it's not time to go enhance yet yeah. unless you want to master the basics before we add supplements. So we have to double down on your focus in my opinion, when you go enhance, because to me, if I'm going to risk my health, then I want to be getting maximal results. So if I can gain 20 pounds of muscle by half-assing my diet, but I can gain 30 pounds if I focus on my diet while being enhanced, then I want to do that. Yeah. So, you know, that's huge to me. Um, those are number two. That's one and two, no matter if you're natural or enhanced, you have to nail those two. You nail those two, then we add drugs, and you're going to grow like a weed. So that's the second thing. The next thing is going to be is where you're going to get your cycle from, meaning, you know, where are you going to get that plan? How much of this, how much of that? You know, are you going to start with a test base? Are you going to, you know, use growth hormone? Are you going to use insulin? Are you going to use any compounds? Like, if you're going to do that, who's going to design that for you? Because yeah. if you've never done it before, you have no idea where to start. And the internet boards are not the place to find that information, yeah. in my opinion. Now, if you're on a smart board with people who are going to give you good advice, that might be a different different thing. But the problem is, if you put that on most intelligent boards, you're going to get two good responses and probably three or four shitty ones. Um, so you have to know which one to pick because there's a thousand ways to do this. Just like there's no one right way to train, there's no one right way to use drugs. So, and doctor supervision to, is always yes. warranted and imperative. I feel like a lot of people go into using drugs very haphazardly, and agreed. You know, um, 
I'm on HRT. I see a naturopath. I get my blood labs done like three to four times a year. Um, I make sure my levels are always cool. If I don't have a minimum amount of testosterone, um, I I'll be suboptimal and I won't be recovering. So pretty much I know I'll be on HRT for, you know, the rest of my life. Um, but I do that under a doctor's supervision. I do that through an endocrinologist, uh, in my PCP. And I also have a naturopathic medical doctor overseeing my blood labs, making sure I'm in the right ranges for everything. And I just don't shoot, you know, to be to the gills with everything like a lot of guys do. And again, listening to these internet boards and these, you know, knuckleheads that are doing XYZ things because they think XYZ bodybuilders and or athletes are doing them. So you got to be smart about that whole thing if you're going to go on that path and you have to do it the right way with a coach that knows what they're talking about. And um, most importantly, you know, through uh, a doctor. So, yeah, I mean, you know, something else that I always consider is like, you know, we get a lot of young kids and inquire about our services and, you know, they buy diets and programs from us. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I want to use steroids. And then you have a, you have the talk with them. OK, how are you going to administer? What are you going to do? And they're terrified of needles. If you're scared of needles, this is not even an option for you. <laughs> um, I know that sounds crazy to even say, but if you get the shakes and black out or pass out anytime you go to get a flu shot, that's, this, is, this is the route for you. Because right. A, one, orals are super toxic to your body, and we don't want to do a cycle of all oral, in my opinion. Uh, again, you'll have guys that suggest that. I'm not going to be one of those people because I care about your insides. But if you can't take a shot regularly, meaning two to three times a week, maybe one if you do one giant one, then this, this is the wrong avenue for you. My and naturopath, really basic, yeah, my naturopath gives a number of her patients. They go in once a week and get their testosterone mm -hmm. testosterone shot from her. So yep. a, a lot of naturopaths, and I don't know if a ton of endocrinologists will do that. I don't think they will, but you can find clinics that will administer and help you out with that kind of stuff or teach you how to do it yourself. If you have some kind of a phobia about it and, um, yeah. kind of help tutor you with that. Okay. On to the training. One last thing. Yeah, man. I, was, I want to talk about one more little quick topic here on the subject. Okay. And the only reason I want to cover this is because no one talks about it. And to me, honesty with your significant other, meaning your spouse, your girlfriend, your wife, whatever, yeah. You need to be transparent. I know that sounds crazy, um, but you don't want to be one of those guys who lies to their wife and are like sneaking around to take their shots or your wife finds it and you go through a divorce. I'm telling you right now, it's much easier when you go down that road and you start it. Be honest with them. Tell them what's going on because you don't want to form that wedge between you and your wife, you and your girlfriend. Um, so you're saying ask for permission rather than forgiveness. Hundred <laughs> percent. I want to have you know. And I'm joking. Me, man, I, I live my that. life. I <laughs> I live my life um, as an open book with her. She knows everything that goes on, and there's a reason for that. And you know, it's because I don't want to stress dishonesty. I don't want to have one more thing to stress about. Right? Imagine if you went to go take your shot of test before you went to get a train back, and you have to wonder if your wife was going to come home and check you doing it. It's worse than cheating on her with a woman, in my opinion. Right. Do not last work. Be honest. Be open. She knows you're a bodybuilder. She knows you're big as fuck. Like, 
just get used to it. If you if you're starting and you put on twenty pounds of muscle, she's gonna know what's up. Most women aren't that stupid. Um, so just be honest with them. Like that's yeah. the last thing I really want to say on that topic. Like, and then once you do it, just be intelligent like you did. So that's kind of last thing. Right. Okay. Occlusion training. Uh, what is it? Yep. And uh, what's your experience with it? And does it help? I know there's a lot of new uh, implements and training tools that are being sold online with it. What do you think about those? And uh, just all right. it in general. Yeah. So my first experience with it was uh, with the program Honey Badger. Um, and I, it, it nothing makes it worse of a pump than that. So when you start here, I'm going to give everybody a resource. Um, Dr. Mario Novo. He's our anatomy guy who writes the all the anatomy section of all of our training manuals. Super smart dude. Um, he on his Instagram, if you go and type in and look him up, he it's called it's under uh, Lifting Clinic is the name of his um, IG. He specializes in that. So if you want to see some cool stuff, you want to read a bunch of his papers, go to his Instagram and look it up. But I'm going to explain it to you guys pretty simply. Um, Occlusion training or blood flow restriction training, all that is is I'm going to essentially create a tourniquet around my limbs or appendages. So you can only do occlusion training for your arms and for your legs. You can't do it for any of your torso muscles, meaning your abs, your chest, your back, or your shoulders. Um, so What about your jaw muscles? Can you, do it for, can you do this for your head? <laughs> yeah, you can uh, put it right For your jaw jacker? <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, anyway, for your appendages, um, and th there's two ways to stretch it. You can either do it at the beginning of your workout to get a massive pump, or you can do it at the very end. So what you want to do is you want to take ideally like a, a, a knee wrap or a long wrist wrap and wrap it around the joint of either right above the uh, bicep or tricep or right up to your growing, like right at your hip. And what you want to do is you want to put that on there. If a 10 out of 10 tightness is as tight as you can literally get it, you want to get it as tight about a 7 out of 10. So that means right before your hands or your feet would begin to tingle. Right. And then from there, you want to do five to six sets of higher rep range to failure with a sub-maximal weight, like 30% of your one-rep max load. So if I'm going to do it on a leg extension, I want to do, if I can do, say, 250 for sets of 10, I want to drop that down to about at least... 75 to 80, maybe 100 max. Right. With short um, rest intervals, going, right? Like yes, 30, 30 seconds 30 second max. rest intervals. Yeah. You do not take the wraps or tourniquets off. You leave them on the entire time. So I'm going to give you guys an example of bicep curls. That's the easiest. I'm going to put that tourniquet right underneath where my shoulder, uh, my delt meets my brachialis, and I want to have that tight. I'm going to do, if I'm going to do curls, I'm going to probably take like a 40-pound easy bar. And I'm going to go to failure. So my first set, I can probably get 20 to 22 reps there going at a good tempo. I'm going to sit the bar down, rest for 30 seconds, and then I'm going to repeat that for three or four more times, maybe even five times to failure. Now my reps, what those are going to look like, if I hit 20 on the first one, it'll probably be 15-ish or so on the second one. On the third set, it's really going to be awful, so it'll be more like probably 12. Then it'll be like 10. Then it'll be maybe four, maybe two if I go again. So that pump is going to build and that pain is going to be extremely excruciating um, if done right. You will see tons and tons of veins. They'll bulge everywhere. Um, it's really good for people that have joint issues. Like for you, that would be great for you to do for your tricep. Because you can do sub-maximal loading, but you still get an incredibly big pump. Yeah. Um, a cool little study for you guys, they actually found that people who were bedridden from an injury or a sickness, 
if they did blood occlusion to their lit extremities and just body weight activity. So if, imagine laying in a hospital bed, putting that tourniquet around your, uh, right below your hip, around the upper thigh, and then them just doing like leg extensions with just their body weight. That showed to minimize the muscle atrophy of them wow. being bedridden. So it's a pretty cool study um, that a lot of people don't know about. So can we injury, can we put a link yeah. on the page on yeah. our Instagram Physical Culture Radio page about that? Yeah, we sure okay. can. Yeah, we'll All put right. that live. Um, and the, really and cool then also the guy the the um, contributor of the T Nation. Yep. Let's put a link on there. So guys, you can find that stuff on our Instagram page uh, and, and the Facebook physical culture radio page. We'll put a, we'll put these, both these links on there for you. Definitely. So what I like it for is just to create a ton of pump at the end of a, of a arm or leg day. If I'm having knee issues, if I have any type of knee pain or have clients with knee pain, I like to have them do that as well because you use such a submaximal load, but the burn and pump is so crazy. You can either start with it or finish with it. I like it. It's super easy. It's really quick. And the pump is insane. So that's all I really have on exclusion training. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, uh, good episode. Next episode, guys, we're going to be talking about stretching and mobility. Uh, For Chris Edmonds, I'm Greg Jones. Thanks a lot for tuning in.